welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by SchoolofLaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the podcast. Rick Roberts here. Speaking to you from Lockdown Central in the middle of Tennessee, where our numbers have spiked. Uh, And speaking of spiked numbers, thanks to Mike James for supporting us through Patreon. Mike's out there in the heavily affected and infected Phoenix area. Hope you and the rest of my buddies out there are doing okay and uh, you plow through this thing. Man, wear a mask, people. That's all we got to do. We could be doing shows right now if people just did the basics. Uh, It's not a political thing at all. It's just... Be human. Be nice. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And speaking of doing to others as you would have them do unto you, Chris Wineland is not just a comedian. Yeah, he's a writer, performer, and he's written a new book. He's an author of The Great Heckle, which is all about how Jesus was like the ultimate performer, not only of miracles, but the way that he structured tours and changed people's opinions and all kinds of things. I will talk about that towards the end of the interview, but I want to tell you up front that it's a, a cool read. It's only 75 pages, and uh, it's it's really well done. So well done on that, Chris. Uh, Chris, if you don't know, the first time I bumped into him or heard about him was when he did the Huckabee taping out in Nashville, and then I started looking at some of his stuff online. Saw a video I thought was really funny where it was a Starbucks sensitivity training with an overly sensitive uh, trainer. <laughs> it was well done. And uh, from there, I just kind of looked around and thought, hey, this got to be great to get on the podcast. And little did I know, he shares a ton of great information about uh, social media, which we haven't talked about in a while. And he just kind of hammers home the importance of that through some different examples, uh, all kinds of good stuff. And uh, he's also a sidekick now, one of my favorite radio shows, The Kim Commando Show. If you don't know who that is or what she does, uh, she's a tech reviewer. She reviews software, uh, electronic products, things like that. And uh, because she's in the Phoenix area, he is able to uh, be a sidekick on that show and uh, add some fun and some color commentary as as he sees opportunity. So very cool stuff, man. So we're going to get into that in just a second. Uh, one second. Go. Hey, I'm excited today because I'm on the call with Chris Wineland. What's going on, sir? Hey, hey, how you doing? You know, I've wanted to have you on for quite a while. Uh, you came through TBN here in Nashville and did Huckabee a while back, and I thought, man, I should grab him now. But things were things are always busy around those times, and now things have slowed down a little bit for most people who are on the road and speaking to large groups. So I'm, I'm really trying to take advantage of grabbing as many people as I can during this time. I was just happy you could join along. Yeah, this is a good time to grab everybody. Like every comic is pretty much done. It's we're all just we're all on forced vacation. Isn't it strange? Like this is the one thing nobody nobody really predicted. It. A lot of people had this on their radar, something that could happen. But even in the sense that a pandemic could hit everybody, the term social distancing and the thought of crowds assembling and not being able to do that anymore that was never on my radar as something that could potentially happen. You know, I've always been aware that I need to do more things online and take, you know, have different uh, income streams. And I've done as much as I can with that, although I'm thinking of more ways now. But had you ever thought in the past, like the the one thing you do 
is speak to crowds and that would be taken away from you? You know, no, I, I never thought that it would be taken away, but I agree with what you're saying. Uh, I'm, I've become a huge social media guy. And so I'm a huge advocate. I tell every comedian, even before this, I told them like, you got to make your social media big. Cause I was doing stand up for, you know, I've been doing it for 11 years and for like the first, no, I think, I think I was going like eight years and I realized I was doing a lot of clubs, doing, you know, bars, churches, everything. And no matter what, every time I did a phone call or uh, sent an email to somebody, I still had to repitch myself. And it wasn't until somebody finally convinced me to do social media. It was my wife. She's like, you just got to do it. And then once I started to do it, that's where I was getting, um, you know, like uh, a lot of my connections, shows, everything like that. I had like 62 followers on Instagram three years ago. And now I have 5,000 and something followers. And, um, you know, originally when, when I had started, like I said, it was like, it was like nobody. And then now I'll get clubs messaging me and be like, wow, I loved your meme. I, you know, I love this joke. We, we would love to have you come out sometime. And so, um, social media now more than ever, I'm telling every comic is like, if you're not putting jokes out online, then you're not, you're not really, I mean, you're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's the expectations from the people at Book Us have changed a lot too, where they expect, and really they're looking first at those social media numbers sometimes to see what kind of following you have, just like pre-validating that you have a reach or you have, you can be the funniest person and have nobody online, but they're going to look at somebody's got a million followers or 500,000 or 50 or whatever and go, well, they're, they're more current than this other person. They, you know, they're in touch with what's going on now. And as much as I don't like to be, you know, computer facing in a lot of my life, the the reality is it's the way everybody's doing it. And, and more people are doing it now who never wanted to in the first place. So, you know, what's crazy is I, I have friends in New York and this was, you know, uh, maybe a year ago, but my buddy was telling me, he was like, man, I have this, I have this friend of mine and she has 20,000 followers on Instagram and in New York city, you know, it's such a hustle. There's millions of, I mean, there's just so many comedians and so, so little spots to get on. And so what she would do, would she, she would grab her Instagram phone and just show it to the, to the booker or the owner or anybody. And she'd show the 20,000 followers she has and they'd let her up every time. You just show it. You say, look, this is, this is my following. And so I, I did that a couple times. I have some videos, you know, online and on YouTube that, uh, that have done really well and, and viral. And so instead of just having to prove myself in, in words and sentences, I now just kind of send them links and I'm just like, I don't know, look at the views or something and then put me up. The, the benefit too of social media. Now it's, it's a double-edged sword. If you're not great at, um, being creative, now, some comics are great joke writers, but they're not actors. They're not performers in the sense that, you know, social media, it translates so much better when you can do all those things. You know, I watched a couple of your videos yesterday and this morning, the, you know, the Starbucks sensitivity training video, was 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 well written and greatly acted by everybody, but that just shows multi dimensions of what you bring to the table. So, if I'm a booker, I can say, "Well, this guy knows how to be funny. I can tell the writing is good, and you know what? Maybe he could put together a little video like this to promote the event we're doing. Seems like he's comfortable with creating stuff for the camera. So it it just shows the, the range that you have outside of just writing jokes. Yeah, it it, it really does. And uh, you know, I I noticed because you were just saying, you know, some comics are mainly writers or some comics or, you know, whatever. And I, I think that there's an intimidation factor with social media at first. And then once you start getting into it, you start to, you know, realize that there really is a spot for each type of comic. Like I tell people all the time that 
you know, if you're just a writer, maybe you're not great at like, you know, being in front of the camera or something, I highly recommend them learning memes, um, which is what a lot of my Instagram is, is I just put up tweets and memes that I've made, you know, that I just think are funny. And it's like memes are a perfect, it's a brand new way to do stand-up comedy. You just have like a picture and then you explain the feeling behind it. It's the weirdest thing. But as a writer, I think it's just a really easy way to get into social media. That, you know, it, it's just so unique because comedy is just really taking a different turn um, through social media. And I, I think it's just helping us to kind of refine our strengths a little bit. Yeah, I think a lot of comics that aren't comfortable with it are afraid that it's not going to be perfect or the best or the hilarious. But you have the thing that happens with all things online is if it's not great, nobody's going to look at it and nobody's going to complain about it. They just start skipping over you. If it is great, they'll share it and more people will expect more of the stuff that you're doing. So you kind of you dig your own niche trench as you go forward of people who kind of fall into liking what you do. So you don't have and you shouldn't appeal to everybody. Uh, you should probably get some resistance and some haters and some trolls if you're moving the needle anywhere on the scale. So I, I just, for people who are listening, thinking like, ah, it's not for me because it's not perfect. Just be you. Be the thousand percent you, unless you're a jerk, and then dial it back just a little bit. <laughs> you don't You don't need to be perfect. I mean, it's social media. I, I was working with a big company. I've been blessed to like work with some companies for social media. And they were like very highly produced and they were making TikToks. They were like super, super produced. And I looked at them. They were like, we're about to put these out. What do you think? And I was like, okay, first thing I think is don't put these out because it, social media speaks a different language. It's not about overproduced. It's actually like if it looks overproduced and they don't trust it, you know, especially on TikTok and teenagers and everything like that. So like the biggest thing is to literally just be you. I don't know why I'm on the soapbox with you right now, but it's like nuts. No, it's good. We we don't dig into it enough on the podcast, probably. You know, you know, slick and overproduced looks kind of like almost manipulative compared to raw and honest and authentic. Even though you may have written everything and gone somewhere to to make it feel a little bit more loose, um, it's just the way it comes across, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, kids are making. I mean, and I'm saying kids, like eight years old, nine years old. I know someone that's like 14. They're making money. And they have millions of followers and all they're doing is just setting their phone up the same way that I am right now as I'm talking to you. Just set the phone up and do like a funny dance and put it up. They, they spend maybe an hour tops. Um, a lot of them are like 10, 15 minutes and they just get it out there. And that's the biggest key for social media is that you just have to trust your instincts. And the more that you just put these jokes out, um, the more that you're going to get fans and exactly what you just said, it's like, you're, you're going to find like a, a small niche of fans and they're going to, uh, you know, I, I have literally like, uh, I have a great, um, niche of fans. I mean, they're just fantastic. They're, uh, we kind of share a lot of, uh, the same theological, you know, ideas even, and, um, you know, and, uh, some political ideas and, you know, just a lot of fun things. Some of them disagree with some things that I like to say, but then they'll, they'll message me and be like, dude, you're so funny. Like, why are you doing this? And then I'll just message, you know, and we just keep playing around. But the biggest thing is too, like you said, if you have trolls, it's actually better because when you have trolls, you're actually getting more, um, more views, more followers. Uh, I have a comedy special on YouTube, just as a quick example, a comedy special on YouTube that uh, is, you know, one of the most like 
uh, top ones on YouTube for a Christian comedian. If you type in Christian comedian, I'm always in the top five. And it ended up on Reddit as a cringe group. It was in a cringe, <laughs> cringeworthy yeah. group. And so it was like a thousand people started to share this and they were cringing. And uh, I've even done a video about a lot of the trolls I get. It, you know, it was an earlier stand-up special. Um, it it, it would have been a little bit better, but the, the person, the audio guy who was supposed to record the audience audio, he didn't hit record. And so there's 700 people in the audience, but it sounds like I'm bombing. And I know <laughs> that. That's, that's why I put it out for free and I didn't try to charge anybody, right? So, so we put it out there. And now what's so great is I've created a lot of fans from that special. That's the only reason I, I haven't gotten rid of it because at first I was like insulted. I was a little, you know, maybe a little hurt to be like, why are so many people dogging me? And then I realized, no, it's good. I mean, your worst, my worst nightmare ended up being somebody's great, like now I have fans from it. So it, it works out. Right. No, that's great. That you're kind of fearless about putting it out, but also realizing that any feedback is going to push the algorithm up a little bit. Like hey, this is getting response and the computer doesn't care if it's positive or negative or it's, you know, indifference is what kills the algorithm or however you say that term. A logarithm, algorithm, algorithm, a logarithm. Yeah, sometimes I say it because I'm from Tennessee. But uh, so, yeah, it's any response is going to be good. And plus, you know, if it's not great at the beginning, but you're consistent, you get better at it over time. You learn what works and what doesn't. And that's going to help you with your writing and everything else you do. It's just that the efficiency of what you do will get better over time. So don't don't put too much expectations up front, but see where it leads. That's great. And, you know, the other thing, too, is it's a time in history, you know, the past 10 years or so. YouTube came out in 2005, so we can back it up to then even, that you have the opportunity to create your opportunities, whereas you don't have to necessarily wait for the club to call or for them to call you back or for them to accidentally pick up the phone when you call so they have to talk to you like the old days. You know, there's a lot of things. If you have the numbers, you get the fans, you know, I always preach email lists so that you have control of, of getting to those people that are on your Instagram and on your Facebook. But if you've got those people willing to come out and see you, you don't, you rent the room and fill it up if you need to. You know, there's so much more opportunity, less opportunity to blame than there has been before. You might not like the way things have changed, but you have to adapt and become socially media aware plus producing your own content. That's the key. Yeah, well, and you know, you you kind of brought that up. I mean, a lot of things have changed. Where comedy clubs do not pay as much as if I rent out like a church or you know a, a, a just a venue, and I do it myself. I have noticed, like, I have just seen so many ticket sales from that model compared to doing a comedy club. Because when I do a comedy club, they're really not paying you a lot. I mean, you know, I, I think back then they used to pay a lot more, but um, you know, I'll feature a lot of clubs and headline. Um, and I'm not getting nearly as much as I would if I'm just booking my own shows and making my own tours. And it's a lot of hustle, but, um, but I kind of enjoy it a little bit more. It gives me more freedom. I can create as many, you know, ticket. I like to do ticket discounts where I'll put it out for like 24 hour period. And I'll say, Hey, if you just type in this code and I always make it a fun code, like I cry at night. I love that one. <laughs> right. so I tell people if you type in, I cry at night, you get $5 off or whatever. And so, you know, you just get to have a blast. You get to be the club owner. But, uh, but you know, comedy clubs, I, I love doing those because I get to reach out to comics more 
um, which is the whole reason I wrote this book uh, is as well that I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll jump in there in just a second because uh, I, I we're going to spend most of the time on the book. I want to ask you about this, though, just because I'm a big fan of the Kim Commando show and I noticed that you're sidekicking on there. And this is this is another opportunity that's outside of the stage where you get to contribute with your creative ability, your wit as a sidekick on Kim Commando. Just tell me how that came about because I've listened to her you know, on and off for the past five to 10 years. And, you know, I just think it's a great thing to help. There's not a lot of pressure on you, but it's a great place for you to showcase your, your wit, right? Yeah. I, honestly, that was a huge God. Uh, that was a huge God moment because, um, you know, I love late night. I've always been obsessed with late night. And so I tend to have a bit of tunnel vision where I was really focused on late night shows for a while. And, you know, I uh, co-created a Christian late night show called next week with Jeff Durbin. I have an online late night show that I host myself called the monologue show. And, um, you know, and that, you know, I've just written for other late night shows. And, um, so I really focused on that. And then my mom used to tell me on the sign, like, you have to do radio, you have a radio voice, you should do it. And so, uh, I would say maybe it was a year ago, me and my producer, Marcus Pittman, uh, we decided to do a morning uh, podcast, like a morning show podcast, because I, I love morning shows and I love late night shows. Those are my two kind of favorite things. And so I started, um, they actually, they have not gone out. They're not going to go out until this upcoming week or the, or the, the following week, but um, soon, somewhere, I don't know, it'll come out eventually. But um, basically, you know, we ended up interviewing like Joel McHale and um, Bob Smiley and you know, just a, a bunch of really great big comics that I've been blessed to be in contact with uh, throughout my career. And I thought, you know, hey, I should really interview these guys and just ask them some deep questions and everything. So so I kind of had that in my arsenal. And then I started to say, well, you know what? Why don't I put some of these, some of my feelers out in radio stations? And, um, and I did. I put them out maybe for like a month and I didn't get anything. So I was like, all right, that's fine. No big deal. Um, and then all of a sudden I got a phone call from my uh, church. I, I was helping out my church with social media, uh, which is a great time now. If, if you're a church, <laughs> get a social media guy because you, you need it at the moment. And um, so anyway, the financer called me and she goes, hey, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Kim Commando show, uh, but my cousin is the director there. And he put out on a personal Facebook message just to his friends and family that they're looking for a co, you know, like a sidekick kind of guy. And, um, they just haven't had much luck. And so she's like, I know you would probably be interested. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I sent an email right away. And, uh, you know, usually you want to try to follow the rules and be professional. I was like, forget this. <laughs> and I put on the subject, I said, I am the perfect sidekick for Kim. And then I just listed like everything I did. And then I included all these like podcasts that I had just done, um, you know, Joe McHale and everything. So I just included these. And then, and literally I just listed every accomplishment I've ever done in, in my career. And they called me like a couple days later. And then they said, well, why don't you come in? I talked to Kim, who's incredible. And Kim was like, I'll tell you what, why don't you just come in and watch, you know, just kind of sit down and, and watch us uh, record the show. And I said, sure. So I came in that Friday and her husband was supposed to be the sidekick and he just wasn't feeling too well. So he stayed home. So then she was like, Hey, would you actually mind just getting up and doing it now? And I was like, sure. Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> you know, he was like focused. So, you know, I revved myself up and I went out there and afterwards I, they just really loved it. They were both like her and the producer were just like, 
all right, we want this guy. And, uh, and so then they sat me down and they were like, we, we want you to do this. So, um, that, yeah, we started that in January. That's awesome, man. And if people don't know what we're talking about, I guess Kim Commando, I always say she's like the Dave Ramsey of tech talk. She, she has her own show. She talks, she fields calls from people trying to figure out how to do something. She's very generous giving, you know, every tech company sends her the newest video camera, the newest whatever. And then she ends up giving them to her listeners and just a great way to learn some things. I've never listened to an hour and not picked up a couple of tips on things I could change. So exactly and uh yeah and it you know it's it's just such a really cool show they also do it on television on bloomberg now that the tv show part is on hold right now with this whole covid stuff and um and everything like that and so you know uh pretty much all all of us are a, a, a bit on hold but um you know super optimistic and it gives me the opportunity to kind of just focus on social media, like we were just saying. And there's a whole reason I'm, I'm going to put out these podcast episodes because I'm like, all right, let's, you know, let's do it. Just Let take it advantage of the time. Well, it's not like you had been sitting around idle. I, I've been looking at your website and I've been looking at this book that you put out. And I'm like, man, that's, you know, I've got six books in my head. And I'm like, I'm never going to put them out. It's just, must, it's just so daunting to get that, that first thing started. Even though I've probably got 90% of the content already plugged into the computer. I, you know, I, I, I'm so I'm I'm appreciative of what you've done, but I'm also kind of curious. Uh, first, how you got the idea for the the book, and the book's called The Great Heckle. And then, did it did the writing come easy? Was it something you look forward to? Did it get did it tilt at one point? Going, oh man, this is what have I got myself into? Kind of walk me through that whole thing, and we'll talk about the contents as well. Yeah, absolutely. So the book started. Four, five years ago, I was living in Chicago. Um, this book idea started and, um, you know, I was going to Second City, taking a few classes there. I wanted to originally do, did you ever do Second City or anything? No, I, although I started with an improv comedy group and did that for 10 years, uh, starting in 91 through 2001. We toured the country as a troupe, yeah. Yeah, I, I did an improv troupe as well before I did Second City. And then I was going to do the conservatory program, which is about a year up in Chicago. And at the same time, literally right before that, I was only there for four months in Chicago and I love the city, but I was only there for four months. Then I got offered to go on a tour and, um, I asked my uh, teacher there and I was like, what do you think I should do? And he said, always go where the work is. So I left and then I never came back. I was on tour for two and a half years and then, you know, late night shows happen and radio happened and everything like that. So, uh, I don't think I'm ever going to go back, but, right. <laughs> uh, you know, it, so it, it, for me, the book started when I was there because I'm a Christian and uh, I was going to church there and I really, I, I've always had this missional living kind of mindset after I got saved. I got saved at 17, not at a church, uh, at my parents' basement, actually on their treadmill uh, is where I got saved because God knew I'd be a comic. And um, <laughs> so, so basically I was, uh, you know, had all these friends, all these comic friends and the more I tried to invite them to church or talk to them about God, the one thing that I was always kind of felt with, you know, comics were talkers and they would just immediately like start talking for like an hour about their belief system. And they would really just kind of bulldoze over the facts I was saying and over like the reality of the gospel and everything like that. And so I was just sitting at, at a church um, and uh, it was kind of a bigger church in, in Chicago and I was sitting in the back and I was just like, all of a sudden something hit me 
where it was just like, there's got to be a, a resource for comedians. And I realized that there wasn't. Like, there just is no resource that preaches the gospel to comedians. And there's thousands. There's hundreds of thousands of comics. And there's really no, not many resources for actors or, or musicians, you know, for the gospel. And so I thought, wow, this is so crazy because we are like one of the most influential, you know, the entertainment industry is perhaps the most influential industry in the entire world. And we don't have books that you can just hand out and give to somebody and say, Hey, like from one entertainer to another entertainer, this is the gospel. And so it started there. It was called the great heckle because it kind of had me thinking about what Paul did in the Bible, in the book of Acts, when he saw the un, the unnamed God, he spoke the language of, of the town. They, they, they call this missional living, right? Where you, or tri, tribal missionary, where you speak the language of the tribe. And Paul did that. He said, instead of him saying, hey, guys, you got to take all this down. I got to tell you about Jesus. He said, hey, you have an unnamed God. I know the name of that unnamed God. So then they said, whoa, okay, who is that? And then he began to talk about the one true God. So the same idea is what this book is. It's, it's, uh, it's doing the same thing that Paul did is to say, hey, you guys, you guys are aiming to be this big, um, you know, idol, so to speak, in comedy. You want to be the greatest performer to ever live. Well, I'm about to tell you the greatest performer to ever live. His name is Jesus, and he was the most truthful performer to ever live. And he was also heckled more than anybody else in the entire history of the world. And that's why we call it the Great Heckle. That's incredible, man. So a great uh, impetus put was put on you to write this book, and you, you saw the, you know, over time or however long it took, you saw the clear path to how to get this message out. When you started to put pen to paper and start to outline the book, you know, just, just from a, a production standpoint, like how many iterations did it take? Did it kind of flow freely? Did you feel the extreme pressure to triple fact checked on things and make sure? Cause, cause the last thing you want is to, for people to come back and go, Oh, you got this wrong, but I see where you, so just walk me through the mental process of putting it together and putting it down. Yes. I think that's one of the reasons it took so long. It took five years. It's only a 75 page book. Like it's a quick book. My goal was I wanted this to be something that a comedian can just kind of roll up in their pocket or put in their book bag, you know, nothing heavy. And so, but the, the biggest problem is the way it took so long was that, I felt this weight upon me that I figured, you know, this doesn't exist. So I want to like make sure that it's accurate, that it reaches all the, you know, it answers the questions that a comic might have. And so I had to get myself in the mindset of, you know, some of my, or of a cynical comic, you know, comedians, what's so funny about us is we write jokes based on some questions that we have, you know, or we just start to mock things that we don't quite understand. And so I had to think, okay, well, what are some questions that, that people would ask. And, you know, one of the things that I talk about, it's like in the first chapter is uh, just the idea that, you know, I knew that that comedians are going to be like, yeah, but I'm an atheist. I don't believe any of this could exist. And so I just kind of took a, a little bit, this, I borrowed a, a, originally the idea from a pastor, um, but it's just the idea that, okay, well, let's look at have we found anything that was just created by itself? And so I just do the joke or, you know, I just say, okay, who wrote the joke that you're performing? Well, unless you stole it, you probably wrote it, right? So if you wrote the joke that you're performing and it didn't just create itself out of thin air, you wrote it. 
And then let's say that you go up on stage and you touch the microphone. Well, who created that microphone? Was that created by somebody or what, did that just happen by circumstance to be created? And so I take them through the whole process of a comedy show and how everything was created and then say, okay, so if you can't prove to me that anything just was created out of uh, complete, you know, just randomness and everything by rhythm and, and you know, uh, had to be created by somebody, then there's a good chance that somebody created you and so uh when i had uh, written that a comic had called me uh you know recently after reading the book and was like wow okay i never thought of it like that right and so you know just kind of things like that of like how do i speak the language of the comics and i think that's that's what took a while i started writing um and you know to kind of answer your question earlier i, I started writing and then i would stop for maybe several months and just let it kind of ruminate in, in, in my mind and go back and try to write again and then let it, you know, kind of stick with me. And then I'd go back and I'd change some things. I changed several things. I changed what the chapters would look like or, you know, how I wanted to present this gospel in the first place. Uh, you know, whether or not I wanted to quote verbatim from scripture or just kind of, uh, allude to it, you know, just all these different things. Cause um, it's not like it had already, I mean, frankly, if it was already done, I wouldn't have done it. If somebody else had done this book, I wouldn't have written it. Right. And man, that would have gave you a lot more time. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> no, I'm glad you wrote it. I'm just looking at like, you know, chapter one, uh, Jesus was the greatest performer. And you've got five statements underneath that, that even if I, if I was an atheist and I was looking at that, you would draw me in because you've got, you know, Jesus was the greatest performer. Performers express truth. They're great storytellers. They're hard workers. They're doing something unprecedented, and they're great improvisers. And so, even if I if I if I wasn't a Christian, I'd be like, ah, I'm a comedian, though. This is speaking to me. I got to read about these five things because you just kind of pumped me up when I read what performers are. I'm like, yeah, I do express truth. I am a great storyteller. So, is that was that your kind of way to, to draw people in? Yeah, it, that kind of happened by accident, to be honest. I, I, I think God had a lot to do with it because I would pray. I wrote this little prayer, and I would pray it every time before I wrote uh, the book. And so, you know, even before I wrote a sentence in the book. And so, m you know, my prayer is that basically God would be a genius in this, and he would help me to write this. And what I didn't realize until after I had written, the, you know, the first chapter is that this book has an appeal to it, which is that you, you're actually uh, – this book is actually teaching – young comics how to be a successful comedian and i i didn't realize that but uh, you know it takes stories of very successful comedians as well and then it kind of connects it to jesus and says well jesus actually did it better but if you want to become a great comic you can follow these steps of yes you want to tell the truth you, you know chapter two talks about how comedy helps reveal a lot about yourself and um you know, Gary Shandling had written in his um, diary, uh, the whole reason he wanted to do stand-up was because he wanted to know more about who he was. And so then, you know, I write about that. It's like, hey, there's, here's some jokes. I listed jokes that helped me to discover about me. And I, I'm really open in the book. So I, I you know, there's some stories about me that uh, is just, I'm sure people will be like, wow, that, that was a pretty open thing to say, you know, just about my past and stuff. And then I just go into the fact that like Jesus actually knew the people before the people knew themselves. And so I talk about like the woman at the well and how he revealed to her, hey, look, you've been married a bunch of times and the guy you're with is, is not your husband. And so I, I really kind of connect the dots. So I think going with what you said, what kind of is awesome that it happened is that I was able to 
explaining to people really how great comics become great comics. That's cool. Yeah, it's going to be a, a great read. In fact, anybody that's listening to podcast right now, the first three people that shoot me an email to uh, schooloflance at gmail.com and put Chris Wineland's book in the subject, I'm going to buy three copies of his book to send to you guys so that you get a chance to get into this. But yeah, I, I, I don't, like you say, there's not enough good resources out there for people. And uh, comics, we walk such a interesting path. Uh, and uh, It does align with a lot of challenges that Jesus had, you know. Talk about Jesus going in every town had to had to speak a message and bring people on board with his message. People who didn't know of him or they'd heard about him in a distant way, or you had heard prophets talk about him, and then we're still like, "Is this the guy that they're talking about?" And it's very similar with comics. You might your friend might go, "Oh, this guy's the greatest comic." Like, "Eh, "Is this really the greatest comic?" Let me go see. You know, but you start. You have to have the truth. It's got to be real. It's got to connect. and then you've got to handle challenges. And Jesus did that every step of the walk. Uh, you know, there was pushback every single place, even after people had seen miracles, still couldn't believe. So a lot of parallels uh, in the sense that we should aspire to do what he did, not that he's the same as a comedian, but there's a lot of things that we can connect both ways. Right. Well, and you know what's what's interesting is I, I, I make that kind of clear in the beginning of like, hey, when I say Jesus is the greatest performer, I don't mean, you know, that he was fake or that, you know, whatever it is that certain people think of a performer, but just the idea of the elements that some perform that, you know, that performers really aim to, that's what Jesus is. And as I did more research about Jesus, I I saw a lot of things that I was like, wow, he was really smart in this, this, and this, that maybe even comedians could, uh, you know, base off of. And one is, how you were just saying he traveled. I mean, he did a tour. Like if you look at the map, he did a very beautiful circle tour and um, he, he hit up all these towns and then kind of went back into them and it's three years. And I'm like, man, if we would look in our kind of spectrum, even if you took your state and you did a similar thing where you went to the major towns, then you went to some smaller towns. Like he goes to Samaria, right? Which was a huge hit for him. I mean, obviously he went to Samaria and he didn't have to go to Samaria. There was actually an easier path to go. But it says, you know, in the word of God, it says he had to go to through Samaria. So he stopped in a small town and then he went to another big town. And, you know, so it's just, it's really cool how Jesus did that. And I think, you know, in a way, you we could probably copy some of what Jesus did. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Well, I can't wait for people to find out more about the book. Uh, the best place to get it is Amazon. Is that right? That's right. That'll be the best place to get it. Okay, so I'll, I'll definitely put that link in the show notes. And again, the first three people that listen that want a copy of that book, shoot me an email, schooloflast at gmail.com. Put Chris Weiland's book in the title or in the subject line, and I'll get back to you and get you a copy of that book so that people can start putting some of this uh, to, to read it and to actually be able to, hey, once you get that book, hand it off to somebody else who could use it. You know, let's see, let's see if we can get those three books to go through 300 comics. Who knows? That. That would be incredible. That's the goal. I just want this to go like like wildfire. Just keep spreading and spreading, and um, you know that's 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 the hope. There, we have paperback and ebook. So either ones, and then um, soon we're going to be doing uh, an audio book as well, so that when people are back on the road, they can just listen to it, you know, on their Audible or in their car, whatever. Sweet. Well, when you get that up and run, let me know, and I'll add it to the show notes too, so people can get the up-to-date, most recent info on how to get that book and how to how to absorb it, because comics, uh, we are on the road. Sometimes listening in the car is the best way to go, you know. Make, at least you know you're going to be in that car. 
Are we going to be in cars again? I don't know. Maybe we'll get to try. <laughs> Maybe we won't. Maybe I don't know how it's going to work. But yeah, I can't wait for the day where I've got a six-hour drive. You know, that's how I can't wait to, for the next bad crowd. I can't wait for being angry at a pe- poor performance. I just want to get out there and do a show again. I know. If I get booed, I'm going to hug that guy. I'm going to be like, thank you. Thank <laughs> right. you so much. Yes, you just validated that I'm able to do my job. Not great, but that I was able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Chris, I know I can already tell that I want, I'll want to have you back on the podcast down the road. I really enjoyed our time together. Is there anything else you want to share? Maybe a tip for a newer comic that is, is just kind of getting into it, haven't, haven't seen the results they want or the traction that they expected at this point, a little piece of encouragement or a piece of knowledge that you learned over the years that's beneficial for those kinds of folks? Yeah, uh, my my biggest um, thing would be two things. One is definitely, you know, uh, get a copy of the book. Uh, talk talk to Rick about it because uh, I had a comic that started out with me, and he read the book. He called me uh, a week ago, and he said, "I wish I would have had this book when I first started out stand up because it it does without I didn't mean it to, but it really does teach you how to do stand up when you're first starting out, how to learn more about." your style of comedy and, you know, uh, all that kind of stuff. So I recommend that. But the second thing is to just start, don't just start doing comedy, whether it's on social media or whatever, and don't, don't wait for somebody to book you. Like literally just do it. My first year I did 200 shows and it was not a lot were at clubs because only one club, you know, is in Niles, Ohio. There was only one club. They would only let me up on a Wednesday because I was brand new. So I went to Taco Bell's and I started performing at Taco Bell's and I'm just walking and say, Hey, can I perform here? And you know, everybody at Taco Bell, like they're high. And so they're like, yeah, okay, great. And uh, you know, and so I would just do all this stand up. And so my biggest thing is like, don't, you don't have the comedy really doesn't have rules. So don't follow the rules already. Just start performing everywhere, anywhere. And my biggest recommendation, if you're brand new is Focus on social media because we're not at the peak yet. We still have a couple more years before we hit a peak where it's like everybody's going to say, "Wow, I really wish that I went on, you know, on social media." But until the major companies stop um, spending ad money on television and they start only spending it on social media, until that happens, you have a chance to become a huge social media star. So just focus on that and perform everywhere. That would be my long-winded advice, sir. <laughs> hey, that's great. It wasn't that long. It may have felt that way because you didn't take a breath. But, uh, <laughs> but, the, yep. but the information is solid and it'll translate. Thanks for joining us today and good luck with the book. I'll push it everywhere I can. And uh, if, I've, if I can ever help you out with anything, definitely shout. And I'll be happy to do that as well. But thanks again, chriswineland.com, W-I-N-E-L-A-N-D.com. Uh, learn more about him, but check him out, subscribe. You know, he, we just talked about social media. Follow Chris on all of his social media outlets. You know, watch him YouTube channel. Go watch that uh, special with 700 people and no mic on the audience. And uh, go bait some of the trolls in the comments. But subscribe to him. You know, take a chance to learn from somebody that's doing it already and see if you can get there and do what he's doing at some level down the road. Chris, thanks, buddy. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. It was great talking to you. Thanks so much for having me on, man. You bet. It was a lot of fun. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Chris Wineland. As you heard there towards the end of the interview, if you would like to get his book, uh, you can do that on Amazon. It's called The Great Heckle. If you would like to try to get a free copy of his book, 
shoot me an email, schooloflass at gmail.com, and put uh, Chris Wineland's book or The Great Heckle in the subject line along with your contact information, and I'll see, uh, I'll get back to you. We'll find out if you want a paperback or an audio version of the book, and we'll make it happen. First three people to do that get it, so get on it. You never know. You never know. You might still be uh, able to get this, even if it's a couple days after release. Not sure how it's going to work out. First time doing this. Hope it works out for you. Hey, a couple things you might be interested in. If you've always wanted to take the online writing class but never found the time or the budget, I've dropped it down uh, due to COVID-19 to just $49, 49 representing the number of states we have after the uh, Seattle and Washington has left the union. So $49 special, and uh, the the uh, code is covid Dash 19, capital C-O-V-I-D dash 19. But uh, to get connected with that, you need to shoot me an email, schoolvlast at gmail.com. I'll send you all the details with the links. And you can get in there and take advantage of that class. That's a, uh, that's a good savings, 49 bucks. Uh, do it. You got to get you got to get better, and this will do it really quickly for you. Uh, pull a lot of things into focus that are a little bit scattered when you start doing comedy. And even if you've been doing it for a while, this is helpful. And R.I.P. Rest in Peace to Carl Reiner, who... Uh, has always been on the comedy radar since like 1940s and 50s. He did a lot of great stuff. And if you're a Mayberry fan, here's a little interesting tidbit. The guy that played Ernest T. Bass on the show, Andy Griffith's show, he was uh, a friend of Carl Reiner and actually uh, did some sketch work with him way back on the show of shows. Didn't know that, did you? I didn't know that till recently, so I thought that was kind of cool. And uh, and if you're a fan of the Andy Griffith show, uh, I've got a little bit of news. I'm, I'm hesitant to, to get too far into it because I don't know if this COVID thing is going to shut down shooting again. But uh, I've been cast in this movie called The Mayberry Man, and I'm excited about that. We're going to shoot in September in Indianapolis area, uh, Danville, Indiana to be specific. And it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it's about a guy who whose father was on the Andy Griffith show and whose father would go to these Mayberry festivals and sign autographs and things like that. Uh, his son, in order to get out of paying a fine for a ticket that he incurs, uh, is given the option to go to one of these Mayberry fests and uh, see what it's all about. Turns out that the guy ends up liking it. And through the course of going there, the main character meets all kinds of tribute artists, of which I am the Barney Fife tribute artist on the show. So I'm not d- trying to be Don Knotts. I'm trying to be a guy who's trying to be Barney Fife. So it's going to be interesting, uh, be fun. It's like nine days of shooting, got some great dialogue, a couple of cool scenes. Looking forward to that. Just thought I'd throw that out there and let you know in case you're in the uh, Indianapolis area. Uh, in early September, first two weeks, maybe I'll be able to meet up during a day off in between shoots for some coffee or a meal. Anyhow, thought I'd let you know about that. All right, take care. Thanks again to Mike James for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks to Chris Wineland for uh, all he's doing out there in the comedy scene. And until next time, stay safe and stay inside if you don't have to go outside or stay home if you don't have to go out of your home or stay in a mask if you don't mind until this thing passes and uh, do what you can so we can all get back out there and do shows and earn income. Thanks. God bless. Take care. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.